Thanks, Nergeen. Good morning. My name is Alan Mandap, and I serve as pastoral assistant for Redeemer Dubai. Um, it's a privilege to bring God's Word to us this morning. And if you are visiting, we're so glad you could join us. Um, today we are continuing our series from the Gospel of John. We are looking at John chapter 18, and we are going to look at the first 27 verses which uh, Noreen read for us. We've also provided uh, bulletins, so you can also find the sermon text on page 8. Before we begin, let us pray. Father, we praise you and we honor you, for you are the fountain of life. In your word are found riches beyond measure. Open our eyes that we may behold the wondrous things out of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are watching a movie, you're going to notice that the climax is coming. You'll notice that the scenes are quickly building up. And if you are watching in a movie theater, this is not the right time to go to the washroom or else you will miss it. Well, now we all have Netflix or Disney Plus or Prime Video where we can play and pause whenever we want. But if you're in the cinema, you just can't do that, right? Especially in this part, you don't want to miss anything. Every scene matters. All those small details from the beginning are now starting to make sense. You want to make sure you see everything. And it's similar to our text today in John 18. The tension is increasing. The scenes are building up. The hour has come. We can almost see the climax, the cross. We dare not to blink at this point. We need to see every detail. Jesus said in chapters 12 and 17, the hour has come. So here in John chapter 18, we are inside that hour. But here's what I want us to see. We'll see Jesus betrayed. We'll see Jesus arrested, denied, tried. But I want us to see that over all this, this betrayal, this arrest, this trial, and this denial, Jesus is in no way, no way a victim here. He is in control. He is sovereign over his suffering, and he is sovereign over his disciples. So Jesus is, and this is our main point, so listen to this, Jesus is the great I am. So trust him, and you will have life in his name. Jesus is the great I am, so trust him, and you will have life in his name. We're going to divide our text today into two scenes. Scene one 
We're going to see the betrayal and the rest. But we're going to see the shepherd's providence. And in scene two, we're going to see the illegal trial. We're also going to see the denial. But we're going to see the shepherd in our place. Let us look at the first scene. Betrayal, arrest, and the shepherd's providence. Let's start with verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. So what are those words? That's John 17, right? That's what Pastor Chris and Pastor Scott preach from the last two Sundays. So from the upper room, Jesus went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron where there was a garden. The Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke tells us that this garden is the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, John didn't give us a lot of details about this, the specifics in this garden. The Gospel of John was written a lot later than the other three Gospels, and John actually expects the readers to go back and read those three Gospels. John wanted to zoom in and focus on specific aspects of the story. And that's what we're going to follow as well. We're going to follow John's footsteps. But before that, I want to do a pop quiz. Are you ready for a pop quiz? Huh? All right. So what is John's uh, purpose of writing this gospel? I can hear something here, here, and there. Let's say it together. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you will have life in His name. That's John's purpose for the whole book. And pretty much, that's our goal this morning. The same goal with John. Now let's continue. Let's look at verse 2. We see Judas knows the place, right? Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Remember when the officers and the chief priests are conspiring, how can they arrest Jesus? Well, that's because they cannot arrest Jesus publicly. The people have regarded Jesus as a prophet. And if they arrest him publicly, there's going to be a riot. There's, there's going to be chaos. And they don't want that because they're going to get the attention of the Roman soldiers. So they want to arrest him privately. And this is where Judas comes in. Judas conspired with them. I know where you can arrest him. I know where he goes every night. 30 pieces of silver, kalas, he's yours. But make sure you seize him and bind him. Think with me for a moment. Jesus knows that Judas will betray him. We saw that in the upper room discourse. Yet Jesus 
came to the very place that he knows, that Judas knows. Why? Couldn't he just go to another place and hide there just to be safe? Maybe. But that's, what, that's not what he did. Jesus went to the very place where he knows that he will be arrested. Notice that Jesus is very active here. He's not passive. He's the one who initiated to, the, to go to the garden and pray, knowing that Judas is on his way to him. Verse 3, So Judas procured a band of soldiers and some Pharisees and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Judas brought the whole gang. He brought the whole gang. He procured Roman soldiers and officers from the chief priests, bringing all their lanterns and torches and weapons. And let me tell you this, this band is not your typical K-pop boy band. This band is actually a Roman cohort consisting of 600 soldiers. Even the Gospel of Mark described this as a great crowd. I find this interesting. Both Roman soldiers plus the Jewish officers came together to arrest Jesus, to arrest one man. Not only that, this was actually passed overnight, which means this happens on a full moon, which means it's bright. But then we've seen them, we've saw them brought lanterns and torches. They want to make sure Jesus can't escape. They came prepared. By procuring 600 soldiers, they want to make sure that they will leave this garden with Jesus. So both political and religious leaders joined forces. Why? Because they see Jesus as a threat to their political kingdom and religious kingdom. Such irony. Because Jesus is king of both. Some would even consider the, this as overkill. Because even if his 11 disciples decided to fight, they are outnumbered, right? Or do they? Let's not forget that this man is the Son of God, the one who could ask his Father, and a blink of an eye, he will give, he will send 12 legions of angels. And verse 4 is fascinating. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, I want to pause there. Jesus knows what's going to happen, okay? In the same way that Jesus know, knew all people in John 2, in the same way that Jesus knew what the Samaritan did in John 4, that he knew the lame and the paralyzed man who's been in the pool for so long in John 5, that he knew that his disciples were grumbling in John 6, that he knows Judas is going to betray him and Peter is going to deny him in John 13. 
and that his disciples were confused about his death and resurrection in John 16. He also knows that he's going to suffer bearing the sin of the world. Now, if you are in a movie house and suddenly the emergency alarm sounds, you'll find the emergency exit and go. This also seems a good time for Jesus to find the emergency exit and escape. Yet, yet, he came forward. He came forward. He's no coward. He's ready to face the penalty of our sins. And then he asked, whom do you seek? Verse 5, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. Don't you love John's subtle details? Where was Judas? Standing with them. The Roman soldiers, the officers, he was in opposition to Jesus. He was in the darkness. And then let's look at verse 6. When Jesus said that I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Jesus' response shook them. A more accurate translation of this is I am. This is theophany. This is the manifestation of God himself. The name that God revealed to Moses, I am who I am. That's why this band of soldiers can't help it but draw back and fall to the ground. They are in front of the all-knowing, almighty God. This is also a reminiscence of Psalm 27 verse 2. When the evil doers, doers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries, and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. John chapter 1 also tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word is Jesus. He is the Ancient of Days. We saw this happen again in verse 7. The reason why Jesus asked them twice is that he wants the soldiers to show them the warrant of arrest that it only asks for Jesus of Nazareth, not his disciples. It is they whom they want, not anyone else. We see that in verse 8 when he said, If you seek me, then let this man go. This is the good shepherd protecting and keeping his sheep. On the surface, this seems, this seems to be just a physical keeping. But look at verse 9. This was to fulfill the word that he, gave, that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. If you go back a chapter before, 
And if we recall Pastor Scott's preaching last week, Jesus' prayer is not only for protection. Jesus' prayer is also for the evil one. Jesus said, I have kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction. So, by preventing them to be arrested, Jesus is actually guarding them spiritually. He knows that if they get arrested, they will fall. They'd be lost. They'd abandon the faith. So Jesus made sure that doesn't happen. He knows that they are weak and vulnerable and they need divine protection. And so do we. We think we are strong, but in reality, we are weak and vulnerable people. Without His Spirit, we will all stumble and fall. We need Jesus to keep us from the evil one. We need a good shepherd who holds us in his hand so no one and nothing can snatch us. We need a good shepherd who would lay down his life for his sheep. We need a good shepherd who won't let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. But notice when he said, I have lost not one, except the son of destruction. Judas is the son of destruction. He was lost because he was never his. Judas was never part of the flock. He looked like them, but he never was. And it became evident when he betrayed the Son of God with a kiss. A couple of months ago, we had a car accident. It was a minor one. Nobody was hurt. We were okay. Um, but of course, you need to call your insurance, and the insurance will refer you to a garage. And we brought the car to the garage. They fixed it. After uh, several days, I came back to the garage, and I saw the car. Beautiful. Perfectly restored. It's like nothing happened. But then, judgment day came. RTA inspection. We know this, you know, every year you need to bring your car to RTA and you have to pass it. But apparently, behind those beautifully restored bumper is a broken chassis. So, the garage fixed the outside, but not the inside. They hid those broken and torn parts behind a beautifully restored one. Obviously, it failed the inspection. We sold the car. And some people from the outside, they look like they follow Jesus. They act like one. They speak like one. But inside, they are ravenous wolves. They don't love Jesus. 
but Jesus knows who are His. We need Jesus to transform us inside out. Do you know what's the difference between Judas and Peter? Peter actually loved Jesus. Yes, he denied Jesus, but Peter loved Jesus. Judas never did. He never did. Remember when Peter said, I die for you, Jesus? He actually meant it. Look at verse, verses 10 to 11. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest, servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup of, that the Father has given me? Peter, a fisherman, swinging the sword. Imagine what's in front of him. 600 Roman soldiers, plus the officers. But he kept swinging until he cut off Malchus's ear. However, this is Peter's attempt into taking the matter into his own hands. That's why Jesus said, put your sword back. That's not how we're going to do this. I remember when Peter just confessed that Jesus is the Christ, right? You remember that? And Jesus was actually commending him. Hey, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but the Father who is in heaven. And we were all celebrating. But then just after that, um, because of Peter's zealous personality, he would then say, Jesus, you should never die. Just when we thought everything is well, what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because Peter is not setting his mind on the things of God, but he's setting his mind on the things of the earth. And that's what's happening here. Peter is again trying to take the matter in his own hands, not realizing he's becoming a hindrance to God's plan. He's trying to prevent the only way for his salvation and for the salvation of all nations. But God has a plan. We also do this, don't we? Sometimes in our lives, we struggle to understand and trust God's plans, and we try to take the matters into our own hands. But Jesus has a plan of his own. In verse 11, we see Jesus said, Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So in the Old Testament, we see this cup referring to the full fury and wrath of God against sin. Remember when Jesus prayed to the Father, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. Because this is the reason why Jesus came. To take our sins upon himself and absorb God's wrath upon himself. This is terrifying. The wrath of the infinite God to be poured out on his son on our behalf. So that you and I can live. By this time, Peter doesn't get it yet. 
He will later on. The Gospel of Luke also tells us that Jesus actually restored the ear of Malchus. But here's the thing. The soldiers and the officers saw everything. They fell to the ground. They saw Jesus restoring the ear of their comrade. They've seen Jesus for who he is. Yet they've continued to do their evil plans. Nothing changed that night. They've left unchanged that night. And we see that in verse 12. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. The divine Son of God humbled himself like a lamb to the slaughter. Remember when Jesus was being uh, taken to be their political king? What would he do? He would withdraw from the crowd. But when he was being arrested, he willingly gave himself up to be arrested, fully knowing what's going to happen. Jesus was bound so we can be free. We've seen Jesus betrayed and arrested. Yet we've seen his providence. We've seen that he's sovereign over this. We've seen that he is in control. And that concludes our first scene. But hear this. If Jesus is sovereign over his suffering, if he's sovereign over his disciples, then that means he's also sovereign over us. He's sovereign over our sanctification. He's sovereign over our salvation. He's sovereign over our circumstances and our struggles. That rent you can pay, he's sovereign over that. That broken relationship, he's sovereign over that. That anxiety that you're feeling, he's sovereign over that. That stressful job, perhaps overly demanding boss or colleagues, He's sovereign over that. We could go on and on and on, and at the end of the day, still conclude that Jesus is sovereign over all. We're now going to look at our scene two. We have to remember that all of this are happening in the same night. Imagine the physical exhaustion, but they're in a hurry. Let's look at the second scene. Illegal trial, denial, and the shepherd in our place. Verse 13. First they led him to Annas, for he was the, high, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. So 
Caiaphas was the high priest that year, according to Roman delegation. But clearly, the people still see Annas as the high priest. Because the Old Testament says that the high priest is high priest for life. But notice verse 14. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. When Caiaphas said this, he was only referring to their agenda. He thought, let's just kill Jesus and stop his influence on our people. But actually, this meant so much more. This meant that Jesus would die instead of the people. That Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is atonement. You and I deserve to die because of our sins. Maybe you're thinking, what sins? All of them. All of our rebellion against God. We lie. We rebel against Him. We dishonor our parents. We rebel against Him. We hate our brothers and sisters. We're actually rebelling against Him. We look at pornography. We rebel against Him. Again, we can go on and on and into more detail. But let me tell you this. Jesus died for all our sins. Whether big or small, He died so that you and I can live. So I'm pleading with you today, friend, turn away from your sin and trust Jesus. Believe that He took on Himself the full cup of the wrath of God so you won't have to. He died in our place. One man died for the people. We remember when Simon Peter said, I'm going to die for you, Jesus. But Jesus said, yeah, you know what? You're going to deny me three times. And in verse 15, we see Peter's first denial, 15 to 18. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You're also not one of his disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Now before we condemn Peter, just remember, where are the, uh, the other disciples? All the other disciples have fled except Peter and this other disciple. Because this other disciple are not named, we cannot be certain who it was. But interestingly, John, the writer of this gospel, 
actually never names himself. He would uh, refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That disciple or that other disciple or this disciple. So it would be safe to assume that this is actually John. But let us, let's look at Peter. Peter stood outside the door. He was looking from afar. Then the other disciple asked the doorkeeper, you know, let that guy come in. Then the servant came. And remember, she is a servant. She is in no place of authority. And he, she asked Peter, you're not one of his disciples, are you? And Peter was scared and said, I am not. Peter's response is shocking, like a coward. See the contrast here. In the face of danger, Peter denied and said, I am not. But Jesus, in the face of danger, confessed, I am. And look where Peter is. He's with the officers. The person who said he'd die for Jesus are, is now on the other side. But by God's grace, we'll see Jesus restoring Peter. In fact, he's going to preach one of the, uh, arguably one of the best sermons recorded in the Bible in the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. But let's continue to look at verses 19 to 21. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. Now, John zooms in on this illegal trial. Why is this illegal? Because it is illegal to hold a trial in the night. It was illegal not to have witnesses, yet more false witnesses. It was illegal to declare death penalty or to sentence someone to death during the night. But because of the urgency of these Pharisees, they didn't care about breaking any of these laws. The high priest mentioned here is Annas. Notice his questions. He was asking about two things about his disciples and his teaching. He's asking about his influence and his doctrine. Verse 20 also seems to be a reminiscent of what Pastor Chris read earlier, Isaiah 45:19. But what is Jesus really getting at here? If you're in a trial, what would you demand? Okay, if you're in a trial, what would you demand? Burger, steak, no, 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 that, not that one. He is demanding that there should be witnesses, right? According to the law, there should be two or three witnesses, but here there was none. They would later call in witnesses, but all of them will be false witnesses. Verse 22, when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, 
Why do you strike me? Isaiah 50 verse 6 predicted this event. I'm going to read it for us. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Look at the injustices that's happening here. The soldier is trying to please the high priest by striking an innocent man. You see the rage of those who opposed Christ. But Jesus received it with all humility and patience. Jesus is saying, if I have sinned, if I said anything wrong, judge me according to the result of this trial. But there's none. There's no reason for you to strike me. You know, Jesus could have willed this soldier's soldier to drop dead in a moment. But he didn't. Christ embodies what he preaches. In the Sermon of the Mount sermon, Jesus said, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him, the other also. That's exactly what he did. Many of us struggle with this, don't we? We are quick to retaliate. We are quick to avenge ourselves. A little rudeness towards us. I see this even in myself. In fact, I have a recent experience of this. Someone said a rude thing to me. And I was tempted to say something back. We are drawn to quickly defend ourselves. But Christ didn't. I'm not saying to never protect ourselves against uh, danger, but we want to make sure where's our heart at. Do we want to overcome evil with evil? Or do we want to overcome evil with good? Let's continue at verse 24. We see Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Perhaps out of frustration, he sent Jesus to Caiaphas with the Sanhedrin. But John didn't actually get into details here. Uh, but if we want more details, we can always go back to the other gospel accounts for the specific specifics of this trial. But here's, his, here's what's striking. At the same time that Jesus is being tried, again, illegally tried with the Sanhedrin, on the other side, Peter is denying him. Let's look at verses 25 to 27. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it. That's the second denial. I am not. 26. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. That's the third time. And at once, a rooster crowed. My son is 
reading Mark and he came across to Mark 14 where it, it discusses about the same account, Peter's denial. And he came to me and told me, Daddy, I'm never going to deny Jesus. Guess what I said? I think you will. I think you will. And he was like, no, 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 no. Because I'm actually going to die for Jesus. And I said, that's exactly what Peter said before he denied Jesus. So if you ever need a parenting tip, don't come to me. Maybe I'm not the best person. But we see here, Jesus betrayed by Judas, denied by Peter, abandoned by the rest, unjustly tried, a sinless man. Jesus never deserved any of this, but we do. We do. Yet, the good shepherd took our place. We're the ones supposed to be tried. We're the ones who are supposed to be denied by God. We're the ones who are supposed to be abandoned by God. We're the ones who are supposed to drink the cup of the wrath of God. Yet, Jesus took it all on himself for us. The very person he tried to save, denied him three times. Yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were once enemies. He now calls us friends. Despite our unfaithfulness, our rejection, our denial, He remained faithful. Christians, don't ever forget about this. This is the price that bought our redemption. See this gospel afresh. See Jesus afresh. And if you're not yet a follower of Christ, consider this as an invitation. See who Jesus is. He offers salvation. Would you trust him? Would you trust him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We don't deserve him, but you love us so much that you are willing to give your only begotten son so that we could have eternal life. Oh, Jesus, we need you. Transform our hearts to be like you. We thank you for taking the punishment that is due to us. 
O God, magnify yourself to us so that we would see how beautiful and delightful you are. May we find you as our greatest treasure. May your words penetrate our hearts and change us. Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our hearts to receive Jesus today. Make us trust in Him today. Make us praise Him today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.